yeah, I guess that's it. Let's uh, kind of move into the message part of today. So, um, like I said, we're talking about um, persecution today. Uh, good topic for Advent, I thought. And um, so we're talking about the book of Revelation. We've been talking about the book of Revelation for a while. And sometimes people kind of, when they think about the book of Revelation, they think about uh, end times, obviously. Um, and that's understandable. Uh, but there's this whole portion of uh, the book of Revelation that is also just about the character of Jesus. And even as you see Jesus kind of doing the end times, I really think that you can see him um, and his heart and his personality kind of displayed in his behavior and even in how he talks about himself. And uh, I also feel like the book of Revelation is amazing to study because it's kind of this unfettered Jesus. It's like the as you go through the Bible, you see God kind of revealing himself more and more clearly as it goes, as these revelations accumulate over time and as Jesus kind of displays other aspects of himself. And I believe that the book of Revelation is um, sometimes challenging for people, but it's also kind of just this kind of raw Jesus. It's like, this is what he is. This is who he is. And it's powerful and kind of unfiltered in a way and uh, can kind of be overwhelming for a lot of people. Um, but again, I love looking at his heart in the book of Revelation because it takes all these hints from the Bible. It's, you know, there's nothing really in Revelation. I don't think that's not said somewhere else, but it's this kind of lens through of him that uh, kind of provides this boldness and clarity. Uh, and so I just like looking at him through that lens. And so we're going to continue that. I get, again, I said it was, we're, today we're talking about Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. And I'll read that here. Behold, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Lord, I just thank you for your word. I thank you that you are so beautiful in the way that you display your heart and wonderful to give us such clarity about who you are and even in these kind of beautiful and terrifying scriptures that you love us and i pray lord that you would wash us with your word and help us to take your word and shape ourselves based on your word not for us to shape your word that was a prayer this morning and lord i just pray that you would shape us your gospel would shape us not that we would shape your gospel for whatever suits us Amen. You know, oftentimes when we shape the gospel for ourselves, it's amazing. It feels great to have God perfectly affirm every one of our beliefs and every one of our immediate feelings and desires. It's amazing to shape God into your own image. But then it backfires because it doesn't line up with the way the world works. It doesn't line up with the way the world works physically or spiritually and eventually you're going to clash with the world if you shape God into your own image. So we really need to look at how he set things up and shape ourselves so that we function the way that he designed us to function and think about things the way he wants us to think about things because it's security. And uh, it can be challenging to shape ourselves even when maybe there's some parts of him that aren't really on display right now. Um, if we are prepared for him, we're gonna, it's going to pay off in the long run. So I was in Home Depot 
yesterday and I took a number of trips. It was kind of a inefficient, inefficient day. And I was in Home Depot, I think four times yesterday. <laughs> anyway, so I was in Home Depot on one of my four trips to Home Depot. Um, and I was walking down the aisle and this is a bit vulnerable for me because it, it um, sharing a little bit of my heart. So um, I was walking down the aisle and I was thinking about, I don't know how it came to me. It was just kind of a series of very quick thoughts. I was thinking about how things were, how I'm getting older, you know, I'm not, obviously I'm still young in some ways, you know, it depends on how you talk about age, but I'm getting kind of to a place in my life where I was almost feeling like, hey, I'm kind of like figuring life out. Like I'm figuring, almost everything I'm doing right now in my life, I've done before. Like it's like, it's, it's um, practiced, it's uh, becoming easier, it's becoming less stressful and getting more comfortable. I'm getting, I've gotten through a number of the more challenging things that I've had to go through. I'm sure there's lots of challenging things that I'm going to have to face. And that's what we're talking about today, persecution and pressure. But in that moment, I was experiencing just kind of this thought, which was a little bit uncommon for, inc not common for me, which was um, how I felt like I was kind of figuring life out and how it was getting comfortable. Like it was getting, I'm getting comfortable. I mean, honestly, I know that there's a lot of people who are struggling with COVID. In fact, everybody's having very different experiences in COVID. And actually mine has been quite positive, honestly. And I don't share that, obviously I'm sharing it with everybody now, but like, I don't talk about that much uh you know as i go through my days because it's not pleasant maybe for people to hear but for me god has just really like put things in place and um it's been blessing after blessing now don't get me wrong there's been tough times as we've had to adjust and things and it's been very stressful in some moments but overall if i was to look at it, it's been just incredible on, on in some ways and so um there's this blessing and 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 comfort and i thought of like almost like movies and things about how Again, this was very quick. I just, all of a sudden, this impression from the media, like some people want to live forever. Like some people want to keep living and actually enjoy life. Like that's their goal. And it was very foreign to me. And I thought about how foreign that idea was to me of like actually wanting to live a long time. And, and that kind of surprised me. It's like, yeah, like I don't really identify with that at all. Like wanting to live a long time. Like, I mean, in some ways I do, but it's not like this idea of like, I want to live a long time in order to enjoy myself. That's very foreign to me and the way that I've lived my life and the way I've thought about life. Um, I want to live a long time because I've got things to do for God and, and for my family and things like this, but it's not really to enjoy myself. But in this moment, I was feeling more comfortable and I was like, maybe, maybe. And then I actually tried on a thought. You know, you sometimes have a thought and you try it on and you kind of like put on a coat and it's like, at the, you know, at a clothing store and you kind of try something on, and you're like, Would I, do I like this? You know, and, and I tried on this thought of like, hey, I could actually enjoy life. Like I could actually live a long time. Maybe like, you know, these people who are trying to live forever in the movies and stuff and like, like maybe a, like a sci-fi or something and they're trying to live forever. It's like, do I want to live forever? Like, on, like the way things are now, like could I get comfortable enough to actually want to do this for a really long time? And I thought like, maybe like it's getting kind of comfortable. It's actually kind of getting easy in a way. Like I could do this for a long time. And it was like, like, and to actually kind of believe that for a second, even for a short breath of time was, it was surprising me how foreign that was. And it was surprising how much I never want to feel that thought again. Like I never want to experience that feeling of actually wanting to live for comfort and to actually like make my life about comfort and to live that way for a really long time. 
And so it's a little vulnerable for me to say this because I don't like saying like things are comfortable for me or things are getting easier for me or life is, I don't know, because I know it's not great to always say that. And I don't want everybody thinking that I'm living for comfort. I actually think that this is maybe for me personally, a defining moment of what my next challenge, my next stage of life, my challenge is probably going to be around comfort and managing the rigors of comfort, so to speak. I have clients who come in anyway, who are like in comfortable places and are depressed. And so it's like managing the rigors of comfort and living for God in those times. And that might sound horrible to some of you right now, if you're not living even close to that, but um, every reality for human beings has its own challenges and tests. Um, and so I'm thinking about this and it's like, and I was thinking then about the dangers of this, like people who actually believe this, who believe that their life is about comfort, who believe that life is supposed to be comfortable, who believe that they want to live a long time, that their goal in life is to make this something for them, that their life is actually about these, I don't know, decades that we have on the earth. And that that's their goal is to be comfortable. And that's their goal is to live this well and hopefully extend it because there's nothing after. And it was terrifying and very uncomfortable. And I hope it never happens again. And I believe that there is a, this is one of the big reasons I want to talk about persecution and, and talk about pressure in our lives is because if you are living that way, where your life is about comfort, your life is about making life easy and good for this time and your that's your goal is to enjoy yourself in like that's the big goal it sets you up for offense at god it sets you up for the reality of life to crash in and for you to lose your way with god to not understand what he's doing to not understand how he works because he doesn't have that as a goal it's not the primary mission of Jesus is to give you a comfortable life. Um, I want to say I do believe in enjoying moments. I do believe in having fun. I do believe in uh, enjoying, you know, godly things like your family and each other and, you know, good food here and there. <laughs> I do believe in that. Um, and, uh, and Jesus, it's interesting because that gives you a bit of a perspective on why Jesus and Paul, they talk about persecution. Like our churches don't talk about this. Like in the book of Thessalonians, I'm going to go through a couple of scriptures in here. And they're like, this is a brand new church. You know, it's like Paul preaches there three times, three Sundays, and he's got a church, right? Like church planting, you know, very intense church planting. Three Sundays, you've got a church, you know, wait a little bit longer, travel around the city, leave. This is very quick. And in that time, he's already talking about persecution. He's not giving them a gospel of comfort. He's talking to them about persecution. And he writes a letter to them only months after he started this church. Starts the church in August, December, you know, like first letter. I don't know. If the, we don't know the exact time frame. And it says in 1 Thessalonians 3, chapter 3, verse 2, And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker, in the gospel of Christ to establish and exhort you in your faith. So we're coming to encourage you. We want to encourage you. We sent Timothy to do that. That no one be moved by these afflictions. There's already afflicted. They're already in trouble. Having a difficult time. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. We're destined for trouble. 
for when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, we were telling you, we were telling you before it happened. We were telling you it's going to be tough. So that's what he's writing in his letter to this brand new church. And he's saying this to encourage them. Like, I mean, I said, I was joking around the beginning. It's like, it's Advent. Let's talk about persecution. And that feels like a downer. But this is actually to encourage you. This isn't to depress you. This is to encourage you and to prepare you. Because if you are in affliction now, it's encouraging to talk about how this is part of the plan. And if you are not in affliction, it's a little bit troubling to think about, but it's essential because if you go into affliction and you're not prepared for it, it can destroy you. So either you're getting ready, kind of like me in Home Depot, it's like, it's comfortable right now, but I need to get ready. I can't be resting around thinking, hey, you know, this is, you know, one big party, like trouble's coming. And we need to be prepared and solid and know that this is part of God's plan. And if we're in it, it's super comforting to know because then we can be prepared and feel comforted that this is part of God's plan. This is the apostolic gospel. And it wasn't just Paul who did this to encourage everybody. Jesus did this. Jesus does this over and over and over again. I'll give you an example. Like in in the Last Supper, in John's version of the Last Supper, he goes through this. I will... Trouble is coming. Trouble is coming. They are going to hurt me. They are going to kill me. Then they're going to kill you. This is part of what's happening. John 13, 14, 15, 16. It says it again. I'll give you the verses. John 13, verse 19. John 14, verse 29. John 16, verse 1. John 16, verse 34. This is the Last Supper. He's just hammering at home and they still don't get it. You will be in trouble. I'll give you one example. John 14, verse 29. And now I have told you before it takes place, you're comfortable now. We're having supper. We're having the party. You're comfortable. But I'm telling you now so that when it does take place, you may believe persecution is coming. Like this is coming. They're going to kill me. He's saying this to his believers. So this is actually supposed to strengthen the church. It's not just a feel-good message to make you feel good right now. Although, actually, I do think it'll feel, you'll feel good at the, end of the, at the end of our teaching today. But it's actually to strengthen us. That's my goal. I want you to be stronger. I want to be stronger. Second Thessalonians. Second letter to the Thessalonica. Therefore, this is uh, chapter 1, verse 4, uh, and then it kind of skips to 11. Uh, so Second Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you. We boast about you. We brag about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions. So in the first one, he's like, be prepared. I mean, he plants the church. I'm telling you now. He writes a letter. Keep going. And then in Second Thessalonians, it's like, we boast about you. You are an example. We boast about the steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you're enduring. This is evidence of the righteousness, sorry, evidence of the righteous judgment of God, the persecution, the affliction, evidence of the righteousness, of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. So you're suffering. 
And it's this righteousness. It's this evidence of the righteous judgment of God. It's like this evidence in the earth that God is righteous, that you are enduring this. And you are worthy. It's evidence of your worthiness. You are being made worthy. It's evidence of your worthiness. It's like this beautiful thing. I don't think persecution's beautiful. I don't think it's going to be there in heaven. I don't think it's his ultimate plan to, to, to hurt good people. But he creates these amazing things out of it. That's our God. He creates these amazing things out of the mess we make. And he creates this evidence of his righteousness. And then it goes to verse 11. To this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power. You are being made worthy and we pray that you will be made worthy so that you can endure this. I'm speaking now. So you can endure this. So it creates this. Standing in persecution is about steadfastness and faith. It's about evidence of God's power. It's about being made into something worthy of God's calling. It's about receiving power. One of the reasons we receive power, we pray for strength, is so that we can endure and be evidence of God's glory on the earth. Jesus endured it. The apostles endured it. Magnifies Jesus. It's going to be tough. We don't know who exactly is going to experience it, but it's going to be a glorious example of the evidence of of God's power in our lives. We need to change our paradigm. We need to be prepared for this. If you're in it, it's like, oh, you are evidence of the goodness of God, the righteous judgment of God. You are already there being counted as worthy. If you're not in it yet, be prepared for this because it's coming. So now I'm going to go to Revelation chapter 1, verse 7. How do we actually do this? How do we do this? How do we endure for you who are, and I mean, when I talk about persecution, I know some preachers will be like, we're not in persecution because we aren't standing up. And and there's an element of like a big element of truth to that. Like it's going to be a different reality when they are actually killing Christians. I'm saying when, not if. When they are killing Christians, that is a different reality. But as I was saying also before, every reality that we live in on this earth is a challenge for the human frame. And we can't live for Jesus without Jesus. Like every, every way that, that the earth impacts the human frame cannot be done without Jesus. You can't live for Christ without him. It's always a test. It's always pressure. So there's a lot of principles here that, are, that translate, even if you're not being persecuted in like the literal persecuted definition there's pressure and these principles still apply. When you experience this pressure and you are patient in the affliction, you are evidence of his righteous judgment. It intensifies when it's for Christ, it intensifies, but it's this, it's very similar in the principles. And this next principle applies to both. So even if this is a COVID thing, although I do believe I'll say it, that the opportunity and potential actual persecution is, I believe increasing even now, in COVID. I believe that. I don't know exactly where, you know, you try to say like, oh, it's happening there. I don't know. Like maybe those Christians did something that actually attracted it. It's like, it's not persecution. It's justice. It's like they did something and they're, 
being something and that's causing problems for them and it's not because they're standing up for christ it's because they're causing problems for themselves and it's really hard for us to know when it's persecution i mean i think when it becomes more blatant it will be more obvious when it's persecution but it's hard in the rigors of kind of these more moderate or minor persecutions to know how much of it is because we're sinful Christians and how much of it's actually because we're standing for Christ. So I'm not going to like say that one or this one. Did you know what, did you hear about this? I've been watching, I've been looking and I've been, and I think that there is opportunity now for the government as they have done as many restrictions as they feel are kind of more obvious as they try to find more ways, there will be opportunities for the government to pick which targets they're going to target for trying to protect the community, maybe a, a good goal, but which lives are they going to make more challenging? And I think there might be opportunities for them to be more biased towards some than others. And that might be a form of persecution. Um, and so I'm watching for that. And I think we need to kind of be prepared for that. Um, but I don't know. I don't really know. I, and God hasn't told me. So I'm not going to say that here. But I do think we need to be aware of that and how that could be happening in certain places. Um, Okay, so Revelation 1-7, being prepared. Now we're talking about how do we actually stand? Where does Jesus actually fit into this and this verse? Revelation 1, verse 7, Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. Now this is kind of an echo of some other scriptures, one in particular, Zechariah. Zechariah 12, verse 10, and it talks about that. Um, I don't know if I'll read it here. It, it talks about him being pierced in that scripture as well, and how they'll mourn for him. And so there's echoes of this in the rest of the Bible about this mourning. And what I wanted to focus on here is the, is the part where it says, even those who pierced him. So he's coming in the clouds. You can picture it. Jesus is coming in the clouds. And every eye is going to see him. Now, I don't know what every eye, sometimes the Bible will use every and it's not every, like it's kind of a poetic every, where it's like a lot or, you know, so I, it's hard. There's some things in here that are hard to really know exactly, but we can get some themes. So every, that could mean everybody in heaven and on earth. It could mean everybody, like a big group, but I, you know, we could take it literally or not. I don't know. God could probably say, hey guys, like I can use a little bit of poetry. Um you get the point. It's every, it's a lot of people. So there's every, there's this big group of people who are going to see him, potentially even people who are already on the other side. And, um, and then it says, even those who pierced him. So now I'm tempted, and this is, I'm tempted to believe that this is a smaller group than the big group, but you could theoretically still make the argument that it's everybody. Everybody has pierced him and there's truth to that. And I'm not going to, say that if you interpret that it that way like everybody pierced him ev even those who pierced him and that's that's still everybody that's fine i'm not again i'm not really gonna I, i'm gonna talk about a meaning here a deeper kind of potential of what jesus is talking about here i'm not going to say this is what jesus is saying here it could also mean the literal people who pierced him like we're talking about like potentially even the one guy who stuck him with a spear or we could be talking about the people who who speared him and the people who nailed his hands. We could be talking about those people who judged him and like Pilate and, and those people who kind of actually were part of this. We could be talking about the literal people who were part of that judgment, a smaller group. Maybe they're watching from heaven. So that could be true too. We could be talking about the Jews and Zechariah kind of hits at that, hints at that. Even those who pierced him was talking about the Jewish people. Maybe, I don't know. Um, I think it's possible. So there's, there's actually a number of possibilities about 
even those who pierced him, we could be talking about a number of different groups. And I'm going to talk about a fourth one. There might be actually six possibilities, and I'm talking about the next one. I'm going to talk about one that I've never heard considered before. And one of the themes in the Bible that's just a really interesting theme is Jesus. Now, Jesus says he loves us. And that's obviously a big theme in the Bible. But there's this other theme on as part of this, Jesus loves us, which is he identifies with us. Like he's one with us. And so one of the clearest examples of this is the bride of Christ. Like he says that we're the bride and he's the bridegroom. Now, when you look at marriage, they be two become one. In Genesis 2, verse 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So there's this idea of oneness with Jesus. He's calling us a bride. So that means we're one with him. What's happening to, we're one flesh. We're not separate. So if it happens to him, it happens to us. If it happens to us, it happens to him. One flesh. This is not confined to that. It's, there's other references to this in the Bible. I'll give you another one. Matthew 25, verse 40. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me. So this is talking about if you like go and help somebody, if you help somebody, you can actually picture yourself helping Jesus in that moment. Like Jesus is the one who is suffering on this. And we actually have this as kind of a general idea. And like, I don't think this is going to be totally new to you. As Christians, we have this idea that when we're helping people, that's kind of like helping Jesus. Like it's this idea that Jesus is embodied in these people. Mother Teresa talked a lot about, a lot about this. Like I'm washing the feet of Jesus when she's actually you know, helping people and washing their wounds and taking them. She's giving dignity to Jesus. She's give, like, she's, she's blessing Jesus by blessing these people. That was her, one of her ideas, you know, that, that she was really using to um, inform and encourage herself in her work. And so it's this, this identification with us, which all, like is just kind of wild in a way. Um, we get into these ideas sometimes about how much God loves us and some different dimensions of how God loves us. And you kind of end up getting to this place where it's like almost doesn't, it's hard to imagine. It's hard to kind of fathom anymore. So anyway, there's this idea that he's one with us. There's also that idea in psychology. When you think about empathy, they um, would talk about empathy in different ways about kind of understanding like a theory of mind like i can imagine what it's like to be somebody like cognitively i can imagine just i can get the logic of it somebody's frame how they think about this how they think about this they've experienced this so they you can kind of equate what they must be going through what they're experiencing i could write an essay on it i could understand maybe what conclusions are coming to and where they're going to do next what they're going to do next and and i can kind of understand them um and then what they did was they found out that, that people can also experience emotion. So when something happens to this person, I can experience that emotion. That can happen in a lot of ways. Sometimes it happens more and sometimes it happens less. But I can, when people experience something, I experience it. Like, like we're kind of one in a way. And so when you see somebody in pain, people will actually pay in order to have that person experience less pain so that they experience less pain. It's not really only about that other person and having that other person have less pain. Now they're paying in order to have them experience less pain by 50%. Apparently this is kind of number. we don't want to take away all their pain. We just want to lessen it. So it doesn't affect us as much. I don't know where that comes in, but anyway, there's this, so maybe it's a little bit less. 
And it's also less for an outgroup. If like in a war, you're actually inflicting pain. So we make them an outgroup. We make them different from ourselves. So we, so we can grow in lessness. If we make them an outgroup, they're one of them. So I don't have to, I don't have to feel their pain. But if somebody's on our in-group, then I feel their pain more strongly. This is a visceral, real experience of pain. I remember reading an article where they did MRIs on people. And they found that when somebody was having an emotional experience, their MRI was the same as your MRI, to the extent that you were in a relationship with them. So I sometimes use this example. If somebody was to say to one of my family, you're ugly. it would be like somebody just called me ugly. Like if you looked at their MRI when that was said to them, and then you looked and then you did an MRI of me, it's personal. It's like you just did that to me. So the closer you are to somebody, the more what happens to them will happen to you. It's kind of an interesting experience. It's very visceral, it's very real. There's actual pain, actual pain. Not imagine pain, not the understanding of pain, but actual discomfort. You see people wince. It's like real. And it happens more the more somebody is connected to you. Okay, so we have this. We have this experience of when we're close to somebody, we identify with them. As you did it to them, you did it to me. I actually had this happen to me in a really new way the other day. Uh, somebody was disrespectful to somebody that I managed. So somebody that I had delegated to go do a task, somebody was disrespectful to them. That person who was disrespectful is very respectful to me. But with my, the person I had delegated to go and talk with them, they were disrespectful to them. My representative, they were disrespectful to them. Then my representative told me, my manager told me they were disrespectful and I felt disrespected. I'd never had that happen before. I didn't know that happened to managers. I didn't know that if I was disrespectful to a manager, that the, you know, the bigger boss would be disrespected. You should know this if you're going out into the world <laughs> of employment, that you should be careful because it's like, it's not like, oh, you disrespected my manager. Okay, I get that you did that. That's a problem. It's, it's like you're actually saying it to the to the person who's going to hire you or fire you, you know, it's like, it, and I was surprised by it myself. And so I was thinking about this and I was like, whoa, I'm, I didn't expect that. I was like, I'm feeling that, like, I feel disrespected and, but you didn't disrespect me. And that, so I thought that was really interesting because I kind of have felt it before with like my family, when somebody would like compliment my kids, I would feel complimented when somebody would compliment Natasha or if somebody was insulting to anybody, I would feel it, but I never felt it with somebody in a, in a business context. So I thought that was kind of interesting. Okay, so let's come back to this. When he says, those who pierced me, even those who pierced me, I would suggest that he's talking about those who have pierced you. When he's coming back and he's saying, everyone will see me, even those who pierced me, I think he's saying, when I come back, everyone will see me, even those who persecuted my bride, even those who pierced me. As you did it to them, you did it to me. If you pierced them, you pierced me. 
That's why it's plural. <clears throat> That's why it's a subsection. And again, I'm not saying this is the only definition of this. I'm not even really saying I'm right. I like, you know, God help me, Lord. <laughs> I think I, God's going to clarify this when he comes down. But even if, <clears throat> even if I'm wrong and Jesus says, you know, like Cyrus, you kind of got that scripture a little wrong. I was really talking about blank. It's like, okay, I still feel fairly strongly that he's going to say, but you were right about the point. So don't get caught up in whether you think that this, that I'm right or wrong about. I think it is. I think, you know, I think that it, I think as he's talking about those who pierced him, I think he loves us so much that his MRI, he doesn't have an MRI, like he doesn't get a, a map of his brain, but like his, when somebody pierces us, he grunts. It's like, oh, it's like that hurt me. You hurt me. And he's experiencing the pain of that. I really believe that. I believe that so strongly. I think I experience it when somebody insults my kids. I think he experiences it when somebody insults one of his kids. I have parents come in and they talk about bullying and it could be the most minor bullying. And it's like, like somebody, they'll, they'll say, I just had it this week. Some, a parent came in, they're like, yeah, this other kid on the playground called my kid blank. I want to punch them. They said that. They were like, I want to punch them. And they're like, you touch my kid. Like it's taking a lot for me not to hit another kid. Like they're talking about hitting a kid, like another eight-year-old. And they want to smack them. Like they want to hit them. And it's like, you know, you talk about child abuse. How does that happen? And it's like, but they, they insulted my kid. And I want to be violent. Like, I'm not going to be, you know, like, obviously, they're not doing that. But they experience, and you, like, there's this, like, just, it goes against everything. And there's this seeking of justice. Everyone, those who pierced him will wail on account of him. There's this knowledge when you see dad coming. And it's like, oh, I hurt your kid. And it's like, I hurt your kid. There's, there's an accountability that's going to happen, even emotionally, where people just get it. It's like, I hurt your kid. Oh my goodness, I'm in so much trouble. Like, I hurt your kid. And you're real. I pierced you. And I think that, um, yes. So I think this is a reality. And I think it's really important for us to understand this when we're being persecuted for this reason. When you're going through something difficult, the number one thing, there might be a number of number one things, but I'm going to say today, the number one thing that's going to help you when you're going through something difficult is that you don't have to go through it alone. You don't have to go through it alone. That's like the number one thing that's going to be helpful. It's helpful to have somebody who's not going through it, who's at least there with you. Like to have somebody go through it with you, they're like not experiencing it, but they're just there with you, encouraging you, saying, I'm going to kind of take time at least to be with you as you go through this difficult thing, that's helpful. Never mind to have somebody more powerful than you who's also being hurt in the same way. It's like I'm going to war and he's actually getting shot with me. It's like he's getting shot. He's getting hit. He's getting pierced. Whenever I get hit, he's feeling it. That's why we have therapy. It's like when I go through something difficult, it's helpful to not have to go through it alone. I don't want to have to go through it alone. So if you're struggling right now because of your alone, and this is where this is hitting us. I mean, there are so many people who are going through pers pressure, persecution alone. 
And it's like, you, it's this, you know, one, two punch. It's like, you're going to get hit and you have to do it alone. And so it's like, or with less people, less support. This is what I talk to people about. They're like, Cyrus, I'm stressed and I have less support. I can't cope because I'm stressed and I can't do what I normally do to feel better. It's like a double hit. And what people need to lean on is that they're not alone. That need, that's always been true. And you can, but you can make it more true by understanding it mentally, by emotionally engaging with that idea, with, by praying and being like, Lord, you are with me. You're not just observing me. You are in pain with me. Every pain that you have allowed to hit me, you allowed to hit you. You say like, God, why are you doing this to me? And he would say, why am I doing this to us? Not why am I doing this to you? Why am I doing this to us? We're doing this together. I'm willing to endure it with you. I didn't just put you through this. I'm putting us through this. That's how valuable this is. I'm the God of the universe and I am engaging in suffering with you. You're not alone. So I'm speaking today about persecution because, and pressure because it's meant to strengthen you. This is a kingdom reality. It's the gospel of the apostles. We want to engage in, in the gospel of, of God and how he strengthens his believers. If this isn't strengthening you either. I did a bad job, but you're not engaging with the gospel. The, his gospel is to be strengthened by the preparation for challenge. I told you beforehand that this is going to happen. And when he engages with you in persecution, when he allows that to happen, when he allows pressure, it's for his glory, it's for your glory, it's for your magnificent worthiness to come out in, in your patience and suffering. He shapes these terrible things into something amazing for him. And how do we get through this? We don't have to go through it alone. We have other believers to go through it with, but he goes through it with us like no one else. He loves you like no one else. There is an empathy that we can't understand with him. If I experience it as almost the same thing when my family gets hit, how does God experience it when you get hit if he loves us so much more than we could ever love our families? I believe it's almost like he's right there with you experiencing it may and oftentimes probably worse. I mean, sometimes I feel like when, when my kids get hit, I feel it more than they do. I wouldn't be surprised if he says you got hit once. You can't imagine the pain that I'm going through. I created you and you're experiencing this pain. It's overwhelming for me that you're having to go through this, but I'm going to cut it short. You don't live that long. And you're going to have glory because of it. I will repay you and I will repay those who did this to you. I'm coming. You don't have to be on the playground forever. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that, that you take something that's awful, that this pain that has been brought into the earth and that is global now and is isolating and is like 
is this very specific challenge for so many people. And I thank you that you are preparing us, that you have prepared us for this, that you've told us about this. I thank you that you're there with us through it. And I also thank you that you are going to bring glory from it. And then it's going to strengthen your bride. And I pray right now for strength. I pray that this message would be a door that would open people's heart to your strength. Not that my message would strengthen you, but that you would see God as somebody who's with you in the pain and that he would strengthen you as you perceive his heart for you and that he is in COVID with us. He is feeling your loneliness. He is feeling the anxiety. He is feeling the uncertainty with you, the loss and grief. Lord, I pray that you would create a door that would strengthen us in the name of Jesus. Bring your supernatural strength into each heart. Amen.